for The Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly. This is Caroline. And tonight we're here to discuss the finale of This Is Us's third season. Is that the right way to say it? This Is Us's? This Is Us's? I think that's fine. The name of this episode was called Her, and we have gotten glimpses of this since the very, very beginning of this entire season, and it became pretty clear most of the way through that it was going to be Rebecca, that was the her, but there was a lot of, you know, talk, was it going to be Beth? Was it going to be perhaps um, Kate? We didn't really know, but we definitively found out it was Rebecca. Even though they revealed who her was, uh, there's, there's definitely still a lot of little, they did it in a way that left a lot of dangling little mysteries too. So. I agree. Well, let's talk about this season's big mystery, which was Randall and Beth and what was going to become the state of their relationship. We had just full season of ups and downs with them. And, you know, none of us wanted to think that they could possibly bust up, but they just kept pushing us. You know, they were making both of them say and do things that just seemed so out of character and pushing us to feel like this was going to be what had to happen. So did you expect this current day turn of events here? Actually, kind of no, I didn't. I I, um, I thought that they had dug in their heels and that they had created this pressure cooker, starting with William, building with Deja, getting super higher with the apartment building, even getting sky high with the city councilman job. And then Beth deciding to to say, you know, how about a piece for me too? How about some how about some cheese covered nachos over this way? Right. And so it's not that she didn't deserve them. And 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 uh, Randall's case of well, you were too late to the party was not a strong one. That is a terrible, terrible thing to say to someone. <laughs> Realizing your dream too late. Oh my god! I feel like we spend all our time on Facebook being like hashtag It's not too late. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, That's why kids please. don't come on Facebook anymore. <laughs> right. Too many old people. It's mostly middle aged people being like, you can still achieve your dreams. <laughs> Pretty much. It's kind of a scene, but I agree with you. I think that they had laid this out for actually quite a few seasons that things were really disintegrating between them, especially with them, you know, Randall choosing to leave his job, the stress on Beth to carry the family. And we commented on that many times, like how is she financially carrying the burden? And then to find out that she was actually working overtime and all this stuff, it was like, wow, they really are ready to explode. So we come back into this episode current day with Randall sleeping at the office and he comes on in to take Deja to a debate tournament, which right away, all of us like looked at each other like, well, all of a sudden these kids have after school activities that we've like never seen. <laughs> right. What the hell? So what did you think about this? Oh, I think Deja is super clever with her with her ruse. This is probably the first moment that I've been glad that Deja was on the crew. Mm. Um I still believe that the Deja is sort of unnecessary overall, and this talking to could have been delivered by. I'm gonna go with Zoe. Zoe could have given this talking to because she she would have seen their entire courtship, and she had this really like fraught with difficulty childhood. So I feel like you could have inserted Zoe here with a really bad childhood and discuss winning the lottery or any one of the outlaws. I mean Miguel. Uh, or, uh, well, um, Toby's 
pretty busy right this second. Right. But um, but I feel like within the Randall Beth family, Zoe actually makes a buttload of sense. But Deja got it. And Deja knocked it out of the park uh, with giving him some perspective that, that he – it's funny. Like, like she had been – critical of him using his story so much in the past that it became clear in talking to her through her that his story had just become like a like a dust jacket blurb to him you know and it kind of lost its meaning rather than retaining that integral part of him that it had been up until that point she reminded him of where he came from even though he, he says that he always knew but he had lost track of it I agree. And also, I want to say how the fork in the road could have been so different because, you know, he frequently tells his story, but often forgets what if the firefighter had not brought him to the hospital? What if he had been placed into the foster care system? And he kind of he he does just fly right by that. You know, I was adopted in and things move forward. Well, for a second, if you recall, that firefighter kind of wanted to keep him and that was not a happy home. It we were 100 percent right. And and was definitely like a, a place where it would have been like a baby trying to, you know, glue a couple back together. And right. so, yeah. I think that especially again, going back to that foster care system, though, Deja reminding him like, you know, the foster care system is so rough that, you know, listen to this situation that I had to go uh, through the soup or what was it? Yeah, soup, the every- scratch off tickets that he spent the money, all that foster care money on scratch offs. Well, they but they had to share one can mm-hmm. yeah. and, and just. Just terrible. So I do think that it was effective. I thought it was kind of funny because, again, I thought they did a great job of making Deja look beautiful and grown and like her makeup was so nice and she just she looks so grown. But it's so odd because we're also supposed to remember she's like in seventh grade and, you know, she's not grown enough to help out around the house or take care of her siblings or anything. But yet she was coming off so mature and so insightful. Yeah. That was the only part that kind of bugged me is that it really made you have to forget where they've been telling us she is this whole time. You know, like she's only in seventh grade and she's she's immature in many ways. You know, that the whole discussion with the teacher and skipping grades and yeah. there was this concern that socially she she may be behind. It was it was all like this doesn't jive with this young, composed woman who is giving an adult man a very thoughtful, meaningful speech. You know, it was kind of like, uh, okay. I mean, I guess we'll just forget about her actual storylines or lack of storylines. I mean, in some ways it had to be her, what with the, like you said, the foster care uh, story. But yeah, it, it the story could have been told another way and delivered the same punch. I think so. So we have Randall finally kind of take the reins and decide, okay, I've got to really do some reconnaissance now. What if I am going to resign? Who do I talk to? What do I need to know? What is the fallout if I do this? Did you feel like it was effectively delivered to us as the audience by that phone call with Jay Wan? Oh, for sure. This is a typical Randall type solution. He is a all or nothing better. When he goes to Vegas, I got, I got to imagine that it's just like very little time actually spent in the casino because he like takes all of his money, puts it on one thing and is like, well, win or lose, I'm doing that one thing. And so he bet on, well, what if I just plain old quit? And so, yeah, it was, it was very clearly explained. It was totally in character. <laughs> 
<laughs> for Randall, even though it seemed insane. Given I appreciated what he put his family through. I appreciated that J one gave like a an authentic response of just like the absolute outrage of like what are you talking about and being real. Like the taxpayers just paid for this election, and if you are not going to stick with this position, then they are going to have to pay for a special election. Like that was a little injection of mm. reality that sometimes this is us will kind of you know blow by. Like he J one didn't say anything that was just so glossy like he gave more like nitty-gritty facts like this is going to cost your constituents a lot of money and he didn't bring it up but Jaywan himself you know works for the campaign and so i assume he left some other job in order to do this and now he'd be out on his ass i assume that that Jaywan has, has moved from the campaign to actually be like his chief of staff it appears to be yes i mean especially calling him and everything i mean yes he he would call Jaywan to find out his schedule every day so very much so it seemed like he was at least his right hand man if not i don't know if he would have a chief yeah it's mean, probably a strong it, term it does, for does city council seem but... like quite a bit but at the same time it seems to be like his personal assistant in some way his advisor in some way some sort of like feet on the ground guy since he doesn't live there. I felt like when he came home and he was sitting in the living room when Beth comes in, the way that he is sitting there really freaking eked me out. I know we're, we're going to talk about where Beth was coming from, but the way his legs were crossed and his arms were on the armchair, there was something about it that was so eerie calm. It was kind of gross. I can't really explain it. It just, it kind of weirded me out. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. When I think about it, it's like uh, only only you and I will get this, but I'll share it with the podcasting <laughs> listening okay, audience. Get ready, just in case there's someone that's exactly our age. Okay, you remember in the Pac-Man cartoon when he would get bit by a ghost? How he would just like deflate, and someone would have to come and like help him because he was so weak, but he was also yeah. saggy, like physically, yeah, sagged creepy, out. Yeah. That's what he kind of looked like, and that's kind of what he was. Was yeah. Not defeated is the wrong word because he's deciding to take another direction, but he was deflated. Yeah, I like that. But there was also this just, I don't know, it's for me, it's the way that Sterling K. Brown chose to present it. There was this other layer that like, like I was really eked out about what he was going to say. Like I had this really, I don't, maybe it's a man woman thing, but like if I had walked in the room and that's what some a man was sitting there looking at me, I would feel like recoil. Like, what are you doing sitting in the living room, like in the dark, like staring at the door? Like, it's just it's very unnerving. Like, I don't like this at all. Whatever. You think it's you're like doing. true lies to Jamie Lee Curtis? He's like, take your clothes off. I don't know. That's even, that's, <laughs> that's even sexier. Dance for me. I, yeah. It was more like the, you know, it puts the lotion in the basket. Like, it just came oh. off like really eerie and strange to me. I don't know. I didn't like that scene very much. However, let's talk about what Beth was going through and what she has sort of figured out in her adventures this week. This is the Beth theme song, right? Where if it's going to be fixed in the Randall and Beth household and they don't want to go, you know, Randall style with swing for the fences every cotton pick in time, then she's going to smooth it over. She's going to figure out. She's going to bend. She's going to bend. Now, this is a bend where she has she has built a boundary and said this this far, but no further. 
Whereas normal bending was like, okay, I'll give up my whole massage weekend or whatever. That bending is gone, I think. I hope so. This bending is like, I'm still going to dance and we're going to downsize this whole thing, but you're not going to stop being the councilman either. So how did we get there? So this, you know, this looming degradation that she had faced with Randall in previous episodes where he had basically summed up her dance career as, you know, helping bored housewives learn to twirl. I felt like it was so slammed in our face when her boss was like, oh, you know, can you cover for this class? It's just like four women who are never going to lose the last 10 pounds, like fooling around. I mean, well, and then they showed the women yes, commiserating with their purses. They were just and, playing around. Yeah, and, and it was, it was, it's kind of okay, true. But I want to say as like a woman in the world, I felt a little bit This was a little slap in the face, I thought, because there are plenty of women who are not prepared to become the dance instructor. They're not prepared to own a dance company, but something in their soul says that they do want to dance. They are a dancer. okay? and so they choose to sign up at the local community college or dance place and they take classes to kind of dumb anyone down, including people who are not main characters in your show, and just put this stereotype on them that you guys are just a bunch of loser housewives who are just here to learn to twirl. I don't like that because while I am not personally one of those women, I know women like that who it's not that they're doing it to be a joke. Certainly not. They have some desire to express themselves in that way. And it feels yuck that for as careful as this is us tends to be, if you were one of those people who said, I identify with the women that Beth is teaching in class, say last week or the week before, especially when Randall says that cutting remark. And then this week, it's basically like, no, you are a joke and everyone's laughing at you. I mean, oh, I just don't really like that. One way to pivot from there to to maybe what their intent was, was if you look back at the flash forward, she appears to be teaching girls or people, let's say, in the prime of dancing. Right. Definitely like aspiring professional dancers is who where I would put those. So maybe it's not that she wanted to say that he was right or even that there's something wrong with women that want to do that. It's just more like that's not, that's not where she needed to put her energy. She needed to put it with people that were going to take it seriously. Like they weren't going to stand in the back and talk about waffles. They were going to be like, right. That like this she was, was like Juilliard bound when she like was a kid. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm just trying, I, I do feel the need to like really put this together. It wasn't that Beth conceded necessarily, but that the boss even described them as that, mm. that it was sort of like, this is a category of person that exists in the world. And we're going to kind of mock that. That to me feels out of step with This Is Us. We have really rarely picked a group of people and diminished them, even to further the plot point of another character. Now, maybe foster parents might come in on the scene and say, you know what? I feel like you have made uh, the majority of foster parents look like shitheads by consistently showing Deja's experience within the foster care system to be so negative. Yeah. I would say if you were a foster parent, you might feel really betrayed by This Is Us and how you might be portrayed, basically, right? So I'm just saying, like, if This Is Us, right? I'm doing air quotes. Then that represents somebody. And I think you always have to be thoughtful when you're representing a group of people. And there is no reason why a woman entrepreneur like Beth 
needs to be portrayed as better than, more important, more valued than a woman who stays at home and chooses to take an extracurricular dance class. Like, I don't feel like that should be made fun of. You know, that feels really bad. You know, I know too many Zumba ladies and whatnot that they would be heartbroken to be made out to be that woman, you know, strategically. That's probably the safest demographic for This Is Us to offend. Oh, but I hate that because, uh, I mean, technically, like I said, I'm one of those housewives who would be in that age range where, like, I'm clearly not going to become a professional fill-in-the-blank, okay, dancer, what have you. But I don't know. I just think that was cheesy. I think that there could have been a way that maybe Beth saw a dance class that was coming in that was a higher level, or maybe she even kind of was vying for a position to teach a more serious dance class that wasn't sort of a recreation or beginner's class. And maybe she gets sort of edged out by the boss or something. Some other way to present this that didn't have to put down people who come to dance for fun or for fitness, for any of that. I thought that was kind of cheap and like not well thought out when you're thinking about who your audience actually is. You know, I bet so many 30 to 6 year old women watch this show and you just made fun of their activities, how they spend their day. You know, like that's kind of shitty. Risky. You know, Risky. I think so. So the end result of that, of Beth determining that she actually needs to drive to Philly. I thought she was driving to Philly to go find Randall. I did not know who she was talking to with that whole real estate part. I didn't know until they got to that like brick warehouse that it was like, oh, OK, she's seeking a dance studio space. I, I really didn't know what we were doing. They've been really masterful with the I, uh, the way that they have used slightly out of context conversation to make you think one thing, such as the flash forward, making you think Beth and Randall are not together. And then this, this scene, she could have been talking to a lawyer. I mean, yeah. the way that it, it was taught, they were talking, it sounded like she was getting ready to move out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just a number of things. And then, so the, the reveal was pretty magnificent, but the, the buildup was uh, masterfully done. I agree. I thought it was great. And and I even appreciated that they took it all the way in this episode. They really brought this story to closure in terms of that they were going to move to Philadelphia together. And they actually moved all the way to the point of showing them actually packing boxes and all this stuff. I mean, it's very clear to us what this family is going to be doing all summer, you know, finding the house unpacking, you know, doing all this stuff, settling kids for school. Yeah. Like it's very easy for our brains to understand where this crew is headed for our time away from them. Mm-hmm. And overall, I appreciated that they needed to have this couple have this really big dramatic change in their relationship. Again, I'm going to be kind of critical of some of the chinks in the armor that they bothered to create for them that didn't necessarily exist. You know, like I thought that there was a moments throughout this season that I felt like that's not something Randall would have actually said, or Beth wouldn't have actually played it out that way. That felt a little bit forced, but overall I appreciated the arc for the season. Probably the one thing I didn't like, uh, yeah, I don't like seeing my, my, uh, my couples get unnecessary complications um but whatever it's, it's tv it's just the right exactly in in the season where where kate has a premature baby kevin finds uncle nicky um and those and those two things were super built up right mm-hmm. yeah 
this storyline, I think, outshone them. It like outdid them. It, it it became well. That was the season they almost broke up. Right, and <laughs> you, you know, know what? I'm going to tell you what what I think that's the case. I think it's because again, we sort of talked about how the NICU storyline was only a small percentage of the population, and going to Vietnam and finding your long lost uncle is even a smaller percentage of the population. But having a couple that's been married for a really long time go through this shift of kids getting older, who takes care of them, careers changing, natural progression, there are almost few people who can't really absorb that on some level. You could be older and say, I remember when. You could be younger and say, I could see how our relationship could get there. There's like a huge percentage of the population who could really see this happening to them. And I mean, that's unique. And that's where you really grab, I think, most of the general population. So let's get into the storyline with Kevin and Zoe and talk a little bit about how theirs is also, I would say, beyond the big story arc of like the the Vietnam and the finding of Uncle Nicky, but this kind of smaller, quieter tale of a relationship beginning, middle and ending. Well, Kevin did what we predicted he was going to do. Mm-hmm. He was going to work on her a little bit. And you know, as as someone that works on people, I think he dug in a little quickly. I and mean, too at, overtly, right? Like buy a puppy, you know? Like what are you doing? You know, like too, like I am going to make you want to have kids. What? I mean, it's almost like I mean, it's disrespectful, no, to like absolutely look in the person's face and say that. Well, it's naive too. I mean, seeing a woman who enjoys anting. Is not the same as seeing a woman who enjoys momming. So what did you think about how they sort of presented it that way? Like where Tess and Annie needed to be babysat. And so then they could present this entire vignette of them parenting, faux parenting, if you will. I mean, it was by far the lightweight uh, plot from the episode, for sure, because it just seemed uh, it kind of wrote itself. You know what I mean? The only part that I thought that was remotely complex, remotely, was the scene between Kevin and Tess and the whole conversation about Tess coming out and realizing that she thought that would sort of be the end of her story in terms of how to move forward in her life and and what to do next. And in reality, she was realizing that coming out to her family was barely the first step of figuring out what her journey was really going to look like. And I appreciated that this was a nice throwback to seasons past when Kevin and Tess had that conversation about, you know, the painting and how we all like play a little part generationally in this larger picture. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciated that they brought those two characters back and had this conversation about life. And, you know, basically that there's not like one moment, one epiphany where you know who you are, that it's an ongoing process and, you know, it's okay to grow and change and sort of pick up information along the way. That all seemed real and important but a little aesop's fable too a little bit because it was so overt that kind of speech when i talk about anting and momming that is not a that's not really an uncling speech that's more of a dadding speech yeah but they the only reason why i was okay with it is because they had put those two characters together and a little bit established that back and forth and so i'm almost wondering if those two birds are going to keep doing this like every season where we're going to see somehow kevin and tess who again barely have any interaction throughout an entire season but then they will come together for like this one 
one scene in which we are supposed to learn it all, like the tree of life, you know, comes out of these two. I don't know. I can see where that that could become a pattern. Like if you look back over the entire show, we might see that. This is probably the scene in this episode where even though he'd been kind of, you know, laying it on thick with Zoe later on, this might have been where his mindset shifted from kind of this passive, I just figured I would have kids one day kind of thing to, you know, going through a speech like that, actually thinking of it extemporaneously and, and delivering it and the girl being satisfied with your answer. That's more like, wait a second, I might be good at this, you know, that sort of thing. I agree. I think that it was super effective in that regard. And I also think that obviously Zoe seeing him be a good parent figure. And then, you know, Zoe herself, <laughs> I was kind of laughing because Kevin was taking it like Zoe was such a great mother type figure, right? But in reality, if you guys remember the episode, the way that it played out, Zoe offered to help Tess go find an outfit for picture day. And they go upstairs. And then later on, Kevin finds Zoe playing with Annie and like drawing or whatever. With Tess still in complete angst and having not picked out anything. To me, it's like you that was not successful, Zoe. Like you went up to her bedroom, but there was no conclusion and you weren't actually good at this. And in fact, you wandered away from her and started playing with another kid. If you really look at the situation, Zoe was not very good at parenting. You know, if I'm ever a millionaire uncle and I have a niece. I hope you are. That just means a lot of good stuff for me. And I have a niece saying, I don't have a thing to wear. Guess where we're going? The mall. You can buy whatever you want. I don't care. I agree. Or online shopping, even perhaps they could because they could have had that same conversation in the bedroom online. Right. Like like looking up and like buying some clothes or whatever. That's very possible. Clothes come the next day these days. You know, sure. So I agree with you. Like that would have been a very natural turn of events. They just didn't need to spend so much time on them. So I guess they couldn't. But, you know, I think that ultimately Zoe pulling the plug and saying like, look, you are not going to ever be okay with where I am in my life was super necessary because it kind of made me sick by the end how much Kevin heard what she said, said he understood, but then was like absolutely challenging her every step of the way. Like all of a sudden, all he could think about was children. It was kind of gross. I was kind of like, Kevin, you're you're kind of being like a really shitty boyfriend. I mean, that was a lot of pressure. She'd made her stance very clear. She had very good reasons. I mean, it still amounted to that they weren't for her. She didn't think they ever would be. And they just, I mean, her life experience made it so that kids weren't for her. And that he couldn't really respect that. Yes. Was it's that. that. And I mean, that was enough that that for her, it'd be like, this is never going to end. Yeah. So and like and like uh, and like what other decisions of mine are you going to act so dismissive of? You know, like I think it just set a horrible precedence for like, oh, okay, so I tell you a thought out decision I've made and then you say you 100 percent are on board with my choice and then you're going to spend the rest of our lives nagging me. 
boo hiss, this relationship blows. So I am all for them busting up. I thought I thought it was it was a nice poetic little bookend there with uh you had the end of Randall's story with them packing up boxes and then you also had Zoe and them packing up boxes. I thought that that was a nice little parallel there that we got to see how things were going moving for different reasons, you know, some happy some sad, but I thought it was necessary. And I do think Zoe's still going to be around and being like a little bit of like a complicating force in the future. Although I've heard she's not back for next season, yeah. but I could totally see her be bopping in. Maybe she works at Beth's dance studio. Maybe she's, you know, something. I, I, I liked the actress. I thought that she brought something to the table. Well, they still um, like each other as characters. It's just, they can't, just can't work. Yeah. It, I mean, they, if they if they grew old together, neither one would be actually happy by the end of it. Yeah, and that's so important. Okay, so let's get into this nitty gritty of the NICU story because you and I have some hot feelings about some of this stuff. You know, you guys know that I've struggled a little bit with the NICU storyline just because it brings up a lot of PTSD type feelings in me about the NICU and being there. And this one really swung the pendulum both ways of being very realistic at times and then being like ghastly unrealistic you want to start with ghastly unrealistic just from like sure uh the story that we are watching is unfolding in semi-real time we can tell because the argument between beth and randall is just clicking along kind of hour by hour within the episodes right Mm -hmm. like last night was sure tough yeah sure it was you know that that sort of thing so what we see with this baby is it's like two weeks old right and if i recall he was born at 28 weeks i believe yes so we are to believe that a 30 week old baby 28 in two out is ready to go home. You guys, this is such bullshit. It's just so you know, like the general rule is that you stay in the NICU until your actual due date. Now, I remember them telling his weight and it was only like two pounds. This is complete so, bullshit, people. Again, the other part of the NICU that you guys need to know is you're you're shooting for about five pounds to be able to go home at. Um, now, again, every NICU is different. Maybe things are different from 15, 16 years ago. But I'm just telling you, there were some basic guidelines. You want to be roughly five pounds. You're going to be roughly at your due date. For us, we were far past our due date because our girls were so sick. But this is crazy town. When they put that kid in that car seat, I was like, I am going to hurl. Like, this is so fucking stupid. You have what to be are able to doing? maintain your temperature. You have to be able to eat. You have to be able to hold your head up. And apnea is already proving to be a problem, yet they're sending this kid home. What? The reflex is necessary. Not hold, your, not hold your head up, but... In the car seat. Yeah, right. You can't be like a floppy, right. jalopy mess. So, But the reflex is necessary to eat. The suck, swallow, breathe routine. Your body doesn't learn that at 30 effing weeks. It needs to cook quite a bit longer than that. There are other problems that come along with your eyes and shit like that, that they need to observe and, they and never even mitigate if it goes wrong. 30 weeks is before the cutoff. So they this would keep was, that baby there. This was disappointing. I thought this was total crap. I, I really thought that they could have just left them in the NICU all summer. That would have made a lot of sense. You know, it would have been fine. They didn't need to do this. I feel really like they half-assed the NICU experience completely by rushing it so fast. I don't get it. Well, and they've maybe we're just ignorant to other processes like the adoption and the 
foster care and all that kind of stuff to know whether or not they really fast forwarded those things or not. But I'll tell you, if you were a pregnant family and you went into preterm birth and you saw this, it might give you some sort of hope that that you don't need to stay in the hospital that long. And let me, I'm, I'm sorry to have to tell you, this is a bad example. It, it, it is not going to work out this way. It really is. And and it bums me out because it's something that we were very concerned about how they were going to present this. And specifically the idea of, you know, we had this conversation about the roller coaster of the NICU. We had this waiting room conversation about the ups and downs, the surgeries, the whatever. This kid had no fucking like ups and downs. There was no roller coaster. There was no like things are going bad. Things are going good. Things are going bad. What? Yeah. We didn't have the parents get exhausted from being there for months and months and months, just like the other waiting room dad. Right. You know, we had them just breeze through. I mean, oh, this was just disappointing. We could go on for years, you guys, but you get the point. Let's go into a couple of things that I F do. Minus. I do feel like they got right. I do think that the we still own the notebook of the notes that were taken in the NICU by so many of us. Me, Paul, my mom, everybody was taking notes. That is an actual real part of being in the NICU. And I appreciated how much that they actually showed that. I am a little nervous that they put that notebook in there not to be so faithful to the NICU story, but in order to start laying some foundation that Rebecca's mental health is in question and maybe perhaps she'd been writing down a lot of details about life. Mm, And so I'm a little concerned that they actually didn't give a shit about getting it right with the NICU, but that it was just more about, again, setting the stage for Rebecca to have some sort of uh, dementia and or, you know, forgetting kind of things. Still, she's thorough. I appreciated it. It was real. And I thought that, you know, we've never had those instructions of hitting the bottom of the foot to tell a baby to breathe. So I do not know how accurate. I mean, certainly we know apnea. Certainly we know bradycardia. We know we know that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I guess. OK. I mean, certainly like tapping someone on the shoulder or whatever. Those things, I'm sure, are all very real. I felt like it was very low stakes. And um, that kind of bugged me because I felt like at a 30 weeker in a NICU when the buzzers went off and we saw those in the previews, it really felt like it was going to be something more important than just you tap their foot and everything's better. Like that's a regular, typical full term baby, perhaps. We had a very conservative hospital, so maybe our experience is going to be different than other preterm parents out there. But I think I recall that at 30 weeks, I don't know that our nurses were encouraging us to do a lot of unsupervised touching. Uh, Not only that, but definitely not intervening when alarms went off. Like if, if there was an alarm that went off at 30 weeks, we were not being given instructions on like messing inside the incubator and like screwing around with stuff. That was not a thing. And so I felt again, like you said, like that might actually be decent information for a baby who goes home on a monitor later. But at this stage of the game... I don't know. It seemed like that if that baby is having that much trouble breathing, it seems like they might have like a cannula or some extra oxygen still going on. I don't know. This whole thing bothers me. Oh, you yeah. Guys. Our girls were intubated long after 30 oh, weeks. Oh, yeah. Intubated. Yes. Intubated. Like, like forcible air. Right. Down into your lungs, like with a big tube. So it, for me, I'm like, again, like this is kind of confusing. They kind of like cherry picked the most simplistic set of events that could have happened with this baby. And I kind of feel like a little gypped about that because I really don't think the majority of NICU parents would say like, that was my experience. But 
you know, we're just on TV, so whatever. But if you're listening to this, just know they <laughs> they took it really easy on you. So, okay, let's talk about Kate and and Rebecca's interaction. Yes. Now, now we've had a long, long term pattern with them about Kate getting, you know, feeling like Rebecca's under her skin. And Rebecca never always seemed to be oblivious to the idea that what she's doing is just overwhelming Kate. And I find that part odd, to be frank. You know, I, I would think after they had that blow up in the gig at Kate's first gig, remember? Yeah. When Toby was like, this is going to be an awkward ride home, like all that kind of business, you know, and her, him being like, I'm team Kate always. Right. You would have thought that Rebecca would have had like a smidge of understanding that maybe it was a little awkward. On the flip side, I thought that Kate was rather unreasonable that if anybody within the group, whenever we were with a doctor, had a question, the last thing I was going to do was say something like, uh, please be quiet. The doctor's got to get going. Like if someone that's the idea of having more than one adult head, like listening to the information, hopefully if my brain is consumed with grief at that moment or or overwhelmed with information, hopefully one of the rest of you is coming up with legit questions to clarify. So well, her getting pissed seemed like, what? And then, I mean, this is just our experience, but, but um, we always went with a group. It was me, Caroline, and her parents nearly every day. I mean, 99.9% of the days. Yeah. And so the idea of you have to let the doctor finish whatever they're doing uh, because they got to rush off. Unless they had like a code somewhere, our doctors were sort of physically blockaded from moving mm -hmm. on by one of us. Usually my dad. Probably Caroline's dad. All six foot two of them would make sure that those doctors stuck around until we were good and ready for them to go. So in case you guys need to know, if you're in a position like that, what you want to do is position yourself between the doctor and wherever they can leave. So if you're in a <laughs> hospital room, my dad would shift himself around to where his back was to the door and the doctor was like in front of him. So therefore, you would have to physically brush by my dad in order to leave. And you know what? They have to stick around like they they don't have any interest. My dad's a very... Um, Big guy. Intimidating. Shops at the big and tall. Person. And so for sure. And and he can get on a very stern face. Ironically, my mom, five foot five of her, is far more the scary one. But you still, like if you're a stranger, you really don't want to mess with dad. So that's a little hospital tip from us to you is uh, just make your body like a, like a true uh, block. And uh, <laughs> they'll stick around longer if you do that. If you stay on the other side of the bed and they can easily step out to the door, you're sunk. They're going to come and go. Loser move. You're going to want to get up and move yourself around to the other side of them. So take that to the bank, kids. It's a good one. <laughs> Okay, so finally, though, we do have a breakthrough between Kate and Rebecca where Kate admits her insecurities and that this is really on her and this is really her bullshit stuff. I loved it, actually, that they had Rebecca say, you know what, I'm going to head back and I'm going to take audio for a walk. I love that they gave her a real life thing to do because she could have just said, I'm going to go back to the apartment or whatever. And I know this is a really minute point, but it is a really great point if you are a NICU parent like us. The concept that real life is going on outside of the NICU and you really do need support to go deal with that, whatever that is. It can be, you know, Paul needed to go to work. This is stupid, but I cared about stuff like putting up the Christmas decorations. I know it's stupid, but I cared a lot about the outside of our house being decorated for Christmas. I, I don't know why it hurt my heart so bad to not have it done. 
But it did. It was something that I was like, please, anyone who would say, is there something I can help? I'd be like, could you please put up some Christmas lights outside for, for me? Like, I, I need to see We it. had two dogs. One of them was we a had, dachshund who kept getting out of the goddamn <laughs> we yard. We had dogs. So I know that it was like a one-liner and almost kind of a throwaway, but it was real. There's other stuff that these support people do that make life remotely doable when you're living in the NICU. And I think Kate kind of heard that. Like, oh, you're going to go take the dog for a walk. Oh, that's like a real thing that also mm. needs to get done. Who the hell was even taking care of audio this whole day? Probably Miguel. Or uh, what's uh, what's the friend's name? Oh, yeah. Madison. Madison. I keep thinking Mercedes. <laughs> nice. No, Madison. Okay. Here's my other like moment that I was like. Mm. Yes. Rebecca Pearson magic. Talk to me about Rebecca Pearson magic i've i've lots of thoughts on this okay one it seems like they're retconning her character a little Mm bit Mm -hmm. uh, meaning they're rewriting her history with future episodes to make us end up feeling one way about her that the earlier episodes didn't provide which i want to say that kim wrote into us and said that retcon is retroactive continuity there you go and so she wrote, so thank you, Kim, on Twitter. I know you listen. Take that hospital tip for you in the coming weeks. Um, <laughs> but I, but that's what it is. And retroactive continuity. And that is what I do feel they were doing with her. Retconning is not usually something that people are happy about as fans. They usually feel cheated that the storyteller didn't get it right the first time and that you're spending valuable narrative forward moving time on stuff that already happened or they should have already told you. So there's there's that element that we might be getting set up for. There's another thing that I've there's some people out there that believe that the Jack character is going to get kind of beat up next season in the stature of his character. Basically, the what you think about Jack may change given what they show you next season. Man, so we're not ready for that. That then feels like well, then they got to build up Rebecca then. You know what I mean? And it feels like, well, why why would you have to do it that way? Why can't you just have two strong parents, you know, rather than, you know, they, they kind of wax and wane, but they balance out at the end of the day. Because up until now, it's been the Jack show. And now with Rebecca Magic, it's starting to be like, well, yeah, maybe, maybe that's true. Because this season, Rebecca has shown a lot of the missing value, I guess, that, that weren't there in the first two seasons. The, the thing that bothered me, though, about that, P, is that it feels like, Why does somebody have to be magical? Like, to me, it seems like, couldn't you have a steady parent, right? Who's just there through thick and thin all the time, consistent, loving, making your lunch every day. But that would not be defined as magical because Jack was already defined as the one that kind of popped in out of nowhere with the pilgrim, you know, Rick hat on and doing his magical little silly dance and all that kind of stuff. Why would you have to create the other parent to also be this just like, quote unquote, magical parent? Why can't you have like the consistent, loving, supportive parent and then like the one who also kind of like pops in with these like surprise moments? Isn't that more realistic? It is. When this show is all done, you're going to have, even though we'll have certain emotional weight attached to Jack, if you really analyze him, you're going to see what you just said, which is that he has these high highs. But then he's going to have these low lows where he's, you know, the alcoholic. So he's not really present as a parent. And then he's got the secrets that he never told that mm-hmm. um, kind of distance him also from being all in with with his family, where, like you said, Rebecca 
it's not exactly i mean is it magic to to show up to work every day and and mine the coal like like you signed up for or 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 what because that's basically what she she did yeah i'm a i'm a little struggling with this because i don't it's i i in no way want to diminish the hard work and the true nurturing big-hearted nature of moms and how important they are and they really underscored that in the the past flashback which we're going to get into now in the in the flashback we have rebecca in this car accident um where she is hospitalized and we have a series of events that go on there uh which i do want to talk about because we do have some like kind of funny similar situations that have happened i guess but the the idea that jack goes home and rebecca is extracted from the situation and now we see the kids with just jack and what that life would have looked like I think is important to understanding her role, but I just don't like the concept that it was a magical role. That feels like a false characterization. So let's talk for a second of what life is like when it's just dad at home, your dad over there, and you've also been a kid with just dad at home. Something goes awry with mom. So what did you think of how they portrayed that? Pretty right on the money, um, where everybody is not wearing the right clothes and they might not have showered that day or, you know, homework doesn't even factor into anything. And you're eating corn sandwiches. My own dad kind of fell into something very similar. My mom needed some kind of surgery. I can't even remember what, because I was younger than those guys in that image scene. And what my dad made was bizarre. Maybe someone out there will say, oh no, that's a that's a Midwestern staple. But I'm going to say, no, it ain't. It, he made us macaroni and cheese. Okay, so that's a thumbs up kids meal, right? That's like a... Yay, macaroni and cheese. But then he sliced up tomatoes and put those in there with it. So you had to eat the tomatoes with the mac and cheese. Uh, young palates, they don't like that mix of acid and, and cheese like that. You know what I mean? It makes your face just kind of scrunch up into a, <laughs> into, a, into a surly frown. And it was sort of, it turned into one of those, un- unfortunately, my my dad didn't really do a jack here. He he was more of the, well, that's all we're eating tonight. And then you can go to bed kind of um, mold. So if anyone out there loves, you know, Mac tomatoes. And cheese with raw tomatoes in it. Yeah, then you can just tell us <laughs> that, that this is a real thing. But I, I maintain that just like Jack with the corn sandwich. <laughs> He just made it up because that's what he had available. It's so odd. The The one part about that that I give a gigantic eyebrow to is um, uh, we all grew up during that day and age. Our, it would have made sense for my dad to just order pizza. Like they had already shown the Pearsons ordering pizza. It's super dumb that he would have <laughs> even attempted some sort of hamburger bun with corn on it. Like this is so dumb. It's so dumb. It is also like a military-esque meal to me where you're just like weirdly putting rations together. Like it's strange. Corn sandwich. Corn sandwich. It was That was funny. So, you know, Jack does relent to the kids whining and his own like kind of 
unsettled feeling that he left Rebecca. P.S. You guys never leave anyone at the hospital alone. I don't care how old they are, or how how minor it seems. Do not ever leave anyone at the hospital. We have been party to way too many scenes where someone gets the wrong medication. Someone comes in, something's completely freaking wrong. And had there not been a sane on the ball advocate for the patient standing there, bad things could have happened. So we're telling you right now, never do that. Never call a friend and get them to stay with the kids. But please, please, please don't let anyone in the hospital alone, please. Now, he decides to bring the kids up there and it's it's not uh, visiting time. What did you think of this little Kevin moment? I guess I'll just go with cute. Like it's it's uh, highly, you know, ballsy for a kid his age to flirt with a much, much older female than than he is. But I guess now we're getting like a glimpse of, of who Kevin is thinks he is anyway. I also love that they actually made Jack recognize it and be like, I don't know what he's doing there. Like that was actually, (laughs) right. That was actually like the funniest part of it because they could have just had him do it. And Jack could have been walking down the hall and we all could have snickered. But the idea that Jack actually recognized it was like, I, I like, like took him by the shoulder, like knock it off. I do think that it's fantastic foreshadowing that he's going to hit on a nurse. Ah, nice one. AKA Sophie Peeps. Nice one. So I do think that it's like, he's always had a thing for nurses. Like, see, check it out. Uh, Boys have a type. Boys have a type. So (laughs) I appreciated this concept of Jack. And I thought this was much better illustration of what Rebecca really was to the family when he described her as the engine of the car. That made sense. They need her. She's like the workhorse. She's the thing that keeps them going. She's like the day-to-day thing that gets you from point A to point B. That makes sense. There is nothing magical about the engine of a car, in my opinion. Now, maybe all of you are like, the modern combustion engine is a marvel. Perhaps (laughs) it is. But it is more like it is just this freaking like reliable, you know, you just, you turn the key and you expect it to start. That's it. You don't even think about it every day. You know, you don't appreciate your engine in your car, right? But right. you couldn't go without it. So I thought his characterization and that flashback made total sense to me and really brought it together. I did not like how Kate and Rebecca and how it was characterized as this magical something that she was when really it should have been, no, you're the consistency mom. I need you to keep your level head during emergencies. I need you to be the one who maybe goes unappreciated, but at the end of the day, the work gets done. And that's really who I need during this really trying time and raising Jack. To me, I just thought that that was a really big mismatch of those two characterizations of her. And I really appreciated Jack's and the, and the really honest assessment that lots of women uh, or or one parent in a relationship is just the engine. They're just the one that you don't even pay attention to, but makes it all work. Let's talk about what happens to said engine, because engines ultimately have a lifespan. Well, this is the big scene. This is the one we've been building up to for one whole season, including the end of last season. This is the scene that will have you talking all summer wondering, based on the on the misleading things that they have said, what does it all mean? So let's kind of set it up. So we had been given these nuggets that Beth was kind of standing in this very simple yet high end home, but very, when I say simple, I mean minimalist, Austere. very minimalist. Yeah. There's like three little plants on a shelf in that kitchen. The designer decorator on me was like, whoa, that's a, that's a red flag. This is a man's only house. That's out of place. We find out that this is actually Kevin's home. And in the future, we can clearly see he's been successful. 
it was a huge load off, of course, to find out it was not Beth's because then we knew that Beth and Randall were actually still together. And we have that moment in the future where they actually kiss each other, hug each other. And we realized that whatever amount of perceived distance that any of the previews or pictures or anything had shown of the two of them, it was really more like grief. This was just a bad day. Right. This was a this was a horrible day. You know, this is like the worst day, you know. And so having Randall come in with that look on his face or any amount of coldness wasn't anything of having to do with their relationship. It was about him trying to process what he's clearly about to go through. So we can kind of guess that he might move back to Philly. Yeah. So that was one thing that we did leave out of that Kevin um, storyline over by Kate and Toby is that at the end, they do go home and they do decide to go ahead and uh, Kevin's going to move to California along with Miguel and Rebecca. So we know the whole family's moving out there. I don't know about Philly. Maybe. I mean, it kind of makes more sense. He would have had that really fancy home in California. But it was driving distance for Randall and Tess. and. Probably Beth yeah, too. So. That's, yeah, that's all very, yep, you're all right about that. So that does bring a lot of question marks. Yeah. We also find out in um, a little boy walking by who looks like crazy, like the little boy who played Kevin in previous flashbacks, that Kevin clearly has a son. Again, though, this house seems very untouched by any feminine hands. So that implies maybe he does end up having a kid, but who knows how or why. Well, and plus there's no food in the house, even though there's guests coming. Right. So that, uh, that's another no female around kind of signal. But the absence of Kevin does produce question marks of, is the Kevin that we're going to meet sometime next season, the Kevin that we know? Does something perhaps happen to Kevin to kind of draw out this reveal of future Kevin? You know, we have graying at the temples, Randall, but what do we get for Kevin? Yeah, that's a big question. And he's not the only person that we don't see. So we also don't see Kate. And we have this very cryptic conversation where Toby comes in and he speaks about Jack. Yeah. And he says this line where he says they're on their way. Which may not include Kate. Never mentions Kate. It is very eyebrow raising because there is no way that Randall would have called Toby and Toby would have called his kid without there being a big fat question mark about what's going on with Kate, because it seems more natural that Randall would have called his sister and his sister would have called her kid. Like it actually is like a big question mark of like, I know there's a lot of people out there who think Kate has passed. And that's why Toby doesn't have the ring on. And that's why he's alone. And when he says they, maybe he means Jack and Annie. Maybe he means Jack and Miguel. Um, He could mean a lot of different people who are not in this scene. Maybe Jack and Deja. We don't know. But it's really suspicious of just the idea of like, there's no way that the siblings, Kevin and Randall, wouldn't have called Kate directly. Aside from lack of being alive, the only other things would be like being really far removed or in a cult or something oh, weird. God. So I can't, I don't know what is up. I'm, I'm not willing to really go with dead. That just seems like really out there. But I guess in any given family, there's really, you know, there's no guarantee that all the siblings make it to this age. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I, I definitely felt like everyone needed to click in on that fact that he never, Toby never mentions Kate having called Kate and that Jack, he just says they're coming. So, well, and then the way that it was sort of like, 
uh, a big deal that Toby came. Right. That would, and like they haven't seen each other. Yeah. So that would happen in the case of both divorce or death. Um, a lot of times the in-law will, right or wrong, distance themselves from, from the family they married into. Right. And for natural reasons, especially with the Pearson clan. I mean, it would be pretty difficult to hang around all them, you know, while, right. while this is going on. Other characters that we saw that was kind of a surprise um, was we saw Uncle Nicky was in the bedroom with Rebecca. That was quite a surprise. Well, given that Miguel was nowhere to be found. Right. So, yes. Chances of him on the food run with Kevin, not too good. It seems very likely to me that Miguel has passed just in the age of everybody. If he was more of a contemporary of Jack, and Jack was quite a bit older than Rebecca, and Rebecca is pretty old now, it actually seems like Miguel could have lived a ripe old age and have passed away. Yeah. That actually feels pretty realistic um, because Nikki, if you guys remember, is younger than Jack. And so he might have been more of a contemporary with Rebecca. That might have been more accurate. So they could be of similar age. I have read that Fogelman said that they will be exploring what brings Nikki back into the fold in this next season and that we will find out why, how, you know, what brings him back in. Because obviously we left him with him being pretty snotty to the Pearson crew, like not interested, leave me alone. Well, and being played by a known actor. That's always a very good sign, you guys. Whenever, whenever they bring in a guest star that has any star power behind him. Expect that it's not for an episode. Even, you know, the doc had a pretty well-known face, so they couldn't resist but bringing him back once or twice. I don't feel like we're done with him. Shoot, I totally still see Dr. K come in on the scene, right? Right. Okay, so now we have this super climactic moment where we have Randall, who is needing to come into the room um, and see Rebecca. And I thought that the makeup and the hair was amazing. I thought Mandy Moore looked legitimately like an elderly woman with medical issues. I had read uh, something where a a, uh, writer had questioned one of the producers or executive producers saying something like, so, you know, that kind of way where they question without a question, they say, so... Rebecca clearly has dementia or something like that. And the, the response was he said Alzheimer's, right? The, the producer then said something like, that's a good guess. And I could see why you'd think that or, or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I noticed, and this is not uncommon amongst people with, um, dementia though is is just when randall entered she started playing with her hands in this kind of like pulling up the blanket or, or kind of gripping her fingers kind of way that that suggested to me combined with the look on her face and her eyes was terror and complete lack of recognition and of course he says i'm randall your son yeah those things you go know. hand in hand with dementia because it's I've seen it firsthand. I've met my grandma after it set in and she had no idea who it was. And every little change, every little shift in one moment to the next was fucking scary to her. Yeah. And she had a look on her face that was like, what's happening now? And and you could imagine the anxiety you would you would feel if that's your constant state of existence. And so her little hands like really... Like sold that she was like me. wringing her hands. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel that too. As soon as they zoomed in on that, it was such a small little detail, but it was so real. And so, you know, like you said, that 
she obviously was feeling so, so vulnerable and scared, you know, in that moment. So I thought that that was so very well played. One of the things that they did not address, uh, but is clearly coming is this concept of why were they all bringing these like children's toys? Like remember Beth was bringing the pin the tail on the donkey and Toby had brought the sidewalk chalk and like people had brought all these different little childhood games and whatnot that were like, what is this about? Now, certainly when people lose parts of their memory, a lot of times the past, the way past is actually retained. So they actually think they're a little girl or they think they are much, much younger. They go to like a different place, you know? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times they will think that their children are their parents or they are looking for a specific toy. I know I remember a woman who was always looking for her doll. That was like a thing. And so I think I understand where they're going with this, but you know, that remains to be seen. There are so many different illnesses specifically that she could have that could lead to this same ultimate place that I kind of feel like putting too fine a point on it, like saying it's Alzheimer's or it's MS or it's anything in particular. I don't know that as audience members, we need to know now, maybe eventually for, for especially the population who's affected by that, there's going to be a lot of caring about it being accurate. But other than that, at this point, all we really need to know is she's still alive. She definitely is in some, has failing mental health of some sort, whatever the root causes, we don't know. And that she lives with Kevin. And that ultimately he is the one that is caring for her, not Randall, not Kate. And that's interesting because very recently, it may have even been this episode where they were again giving Randall the business about being mom's favorite. I was definitely the waiting room one where it was like super hardcore. Yeah. And well, yeah, it's, but it's been throughout. Oh, yeah. Like remember when the teenage versions of them were sitting on the porch at the party oh, and yes, they had yes. that very frank discussion. So it was like an episode ago or two, something in that range. But you're right. It is Kevin. He has the, he, presumably has the monetary means to do whatever he wants. Uh, but it does kind of suggest that Kate um, might be out of the picture or I don't something. know. And it definitely, though, does beg the question of why not Randall? You know, why wouldn't he be caring for it? Now, we do know that they choose to downsize and they do choose to like sell off stuff. So if Kevin is in better means than them, that's certainly a possibility, you know? Yeah. Okay, so one other thing that I want to mention of throughout this entire episode was this coffee theme, this idea that they sprinkled that throughout the entire episode in different vignettes. So they had like Beth pouring coffee out of this really, really fancy coffee maker, really complicated, futuristic looking thing at Kevin's house. They had Zoe having this very um, complex, time consuming a version of how to make coffee that was like, very not kid friendly. Kid gave, that Kevin gave her a lot of shit about. Yes, yes, right. Didn't didn't respect her choices. I would right. say. Um, in the flashback with Rebecca, she was clearly drinking out of like a giant coffee mug type thing, and that it was like blocking her view when she when that car pulled out at the NICU. Rebecca shows up with a small uh, carrier of coffee. It actually becomes sort of a little thing where she gets Kate decaf because, you know, she doesn't want the baby to have caffeine, blah, blah, blah. Exactly. Um, and also, you could probably point back to the the Randall and, and Beth story where Beth is having coffee with the realtor. Um, and so they're like at a coffee shop. Ah. Um, so coffee definitely plays out a ton in this episode. Where we were going with this was the idea that coffee is a is a comforting drink for most people, that it's that it kind of binds us all together. The idea of like want to go for a cup of coffee 
even if you don't drink coffee, it's like a cliche term of like, do you want to get together and sit down together? It's also the type of thing that that you sort of bond over, you know, um, whether you're in a waiting room, if you offer coffee to someone. Now, Paul doesn't drink coffee, but for the majority of us, it's a very unifying and universal across cultures. People drink coffee. You know, that's just very common. That's where we were going with that. If you guys have more insight in that, I really tried to look up any other suggested tie-ins between all this. It definitely seemed to represent where different phases of life were. Like if you have to get your coffee from a vending machine, you're at the NICU. If you have time to sit there and make a 20-step cup of coffee, you're at a different stage. I'm sure there's a term, uh, it's like a literary device of some sort, but the census isn't literature. Maybe it's a filmic device where something recognizable shows up throughout your story and kind of stitches together those things. I mean, this I don't know that you need it in in a show like this. It's already so well-defined. It's being stitched together. But like the little girl in the red jacket in in Schindler's List kind of is something like that or like the feather in Forrest Gump or whatever. Yeah, something Something that just visually – that's why I don't think it's a literary Like kind of transitions you? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's just just, – I like that. I like that because a lot of times it would even start off the scene. Mm. You know, that's how that scene began was them getting coffee. We'd zoom in sort of in on the coffee. I think also just in you saying that I just read a book kind of recently and it was called A A Spool of Blue Thread. And I can remember that was like another thing that was uh, it was the mothers in the book. And it was just another kind of tie in generationally that this spool of blue thread was it was an important piece throughout. Now, that was like an individual spool, but the concept of having the same thing sort of generational and it being important at all different points of your life seems accurate, you know? Like traveling pants? Like traveling pants, perhaps. Yes, this seems similar. Yes. So overall, what did we think about this season of This Is Us? Of the three seasons, it is firmly ranked as number three for me. Like I mentioned earlier, I thought that the Randall Beth storyline overshadowed the other two and the other two stood to be pretty powerful. But like we mentioned with the NICU inaccuracies combined with our life experience, I mean, maybe those of you out there that don't have any experience in that realm are just like happy as a clam that they got their baby in two weeks, but that left us really unfulfilled and it felt shortchanged on that, on the emotional, the available emotional impact of that storyline. And also with the, the NICU thing driving Kevin back to drinking was kind of disappointed, but probably something was going to. So I guess maybe that's a good, good one because relapse for first time rehab people is like Mm -hmm. super high. I guess the balance between the character storylines, I I was glad that they took on Beth a little bit. I'm still kind of confused as to why Rebecca is still a bench player. Maybe, maybe that's going to change next season, but four seasons in the mom of the family finally gets to step up to the plate maybe theoretically we'll see um is it's still kind of a head scratcher i know there's only an hour that they get to deal with every week but still um if she's the magical motor uh <laughs> shit <laughs> gas her up <laughs> yeah and so i'll second that 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 that's probably one of my biggest beefs with this season was that you know it was we were bringing to this finale the the word her and if this was really supposed to bring us some clarity about who Rebecca was, the idea of the magical motor, it begs that question when it comes to film or TV where you say, show me, don't tell me. 
they're telling us constantly how important she is. They're telling us that she's magical, but I don't feel convinced that they showed us that she was this magical motor. It's a good call. You know, I'm, I'm believe in my heart because she's a mother and because she had all these kids that she was, but you shouldn't have to spell that out for me in all this exposition. I should get it. I should see her hard work. I should just understand. I agree with you. I thought the we've, you know, we've talked a lot about Randall and Beth and in it, they were the most painful story I felt throughout this entire season because they were very down in the weeds with them. You know, we got down to the nitty fucking gritty, you know, shitty voicemails, horrible fights, saying awful things. They really got into it. Whereas like we had a breakup with Kevin and Zoe, but it was so much more surface. You know, it was just like, we have one issue we can't overcome. So blah, done, you know? (laughs) So it was really different. I thought again, that this season really suffered from the scheduling. We discussed this a whole bunch throughout the season, Mm, but this was a really, really crappy scenario that had to do with air dates and when it actually came out. And and actually, my sister who loves the show, we were just talking to her and she completely fell away from the show precisely for that reason. She's like, I can't tune in every week and it's not on. And it's just irritating, you know, as a fan. And she's like, if you're going to go away for so long and then expect that I'm going to be back, like, I'm just not going to do that. You know, there's too many shows you can binge where the idea of making us wait a week is already rough enough but then put on world of dance or some other crap and then it's just like oh by the way you actually have to wait three weeks or four it's a joke i mean you cannot do that these stories build on each other you're waiting to find out what's going to happen to characters and i think that the the time that an audience is willing to be strung along has passed I don't think we're willing to do that. And I don't think that people are willing to stick around. There's just too many other things to go watch on TV. And the thing is that it used to be that you were watching the best thing you could on network TV and all the rest of it was kind of crap, reruns, whatever. But now with Netflix and Hulu and all this original programming on Showtime and Stars and all this stuff, HBO, oh my God, psh, you're going from one fantastic show to the next, you know? You right. Just don't, you just don't have to put up with, with second best. It's almost, it's almost unfair. I mean, if you think about the binging and then what I have seen on my nerd uh, end of things as the demise of the two hour movie. Um, Like I'm sure in your mind, a movie's like an hour and a half. In my mind, a movie's getting to be like two and a half hours, three hours. No, I feel confident that every sci-fi movie I'm in feel about 50 hours long. So that tells us given the popularity of these things, they make money. Yeah. And people, people just talk about binging. Like it's just, the way to do things now that means people are willing to sit and watch something that they like when there is when there's value in it for them fucking around with 42 minutes every every three weeks you're gonna lose dude yeah and i think and to your point as well not only people are willing to sit for a for a three and a half hour movie but they're also fed up with bite-sized pieces of information like they want a lot to happen during their seated viewing time like a lot has to happen and so you're right 42 minutes you just can't get that much done and making us wait weeks could you imagine if any other like pick a marvel movie and then string it out no matter how wonderful that movie could have been or the plot if you take it and you dice it up into 40 minute segments and spread it out over several months people would decimate it right yeah for what bullshit it was and how much you didn't care about the character by the time it came along i don't care how big of a blockbuster you could have taken titanic if you fucking 
divvied it up in 40 minute pieces and gave it to me bite sized. People are walking. People are done. They don't care if Kate got on the door, didn't get on the door. <laughs> Who did what? By that point, you're like, oh, is that show still on? You know, did they make it or not? You just don't care, you know? So I really, really hope that that's something that they rectify for next season. At least keep it a tight amount of weeks. You know, keep it to that solid, you know, this is the fall season. This is the spring season. Keep it tight. Don't allow for bullshit to come in. Even if you've got to figure it out, show it an hour earlier, show it an hour later. Whatever Whatever you got to do, but don't like abandon us for weeks. It's not going to fly anymore. So thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. We will pick up on some other shows that are coming in the spring. Uh, Handmaid's Tale and um, boy, we have kind of a lot that we're interested in. We have have Handmaid's Tale. Which is like June 2nd. We have Stranger Things. Which is July 4th. And we're very much eyeballing Veronica Mars. Oh, I cannot wait for Veronica Mars. If you guys did not watch Veronica Mars, the original series, get on out there and watch it. Do yourself a favor. It's a good show. She's a funny character. She's clever. She's smart. She's witty. Love it. Even if you don't go for high school dramas... There is nothing high school drama about this, really. I mean, yes. There's a layer, but it's not It's, it's not nearly you're as- You're not sitting through class with, right. with these people. The things right. that they worry about are not what- I mean, some of them are, but but really, this isn't like, you stole my barrette. This is-, this is uh, <laughs> It's mostly homicides. Bigger stakes, <laughs> right? Honestly. Right. But yeah, so those are some recommendations from us. Um Check out us on uh, dailyreview.com. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Daily Review. We will be definitely binge watching shows. We've been watching things like Twilight Zone with Jordan Peele. There's lots of good stuff that's coming out that we will love to chit chat with you guys about. So thank you so much for listening. Thanks a lot. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. Facebook or Twitter or wherever you find us, please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.